Welcome to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. This is episode 38, Monday, February 13th. It's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. One favor if we could ask, if you like what you hear, please share this. In the studio for the first time, Ken Bellinger, Senior Trader. Welcome. Good morning. Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Good morning, guys. And Todd Voigt is our Chief Investment Strategist. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, you know what I'd like to start out with, if I can and we like to look ahead with the SWAT podcast, is to kind of discuss what's going on this week and next week. And Tuesday, big CPI report, especially after that employment report a couple of weeks ago. It was a blowout employment report. CPI Tuesday could surprise the markets. Important thing to understand there, CPI index at a higher level. Inflation may be decelerating, but we'll see what those numbers look like. Then Wednesday, we got retail sales. Uh, previous to that, we had two months of the drop in sales, and December in particular was kind of important. We'll see what happens with retail sales. Initial claims on Thursday, and then we got housing. This is like a housing week. Uh, we got building permits, housing starts, and then next Tuesday is uh, existing home sales. Friday, we got leading economic indicators expected to be down a, a fraction, which is important because we had basically eight straight months of decline in, in the leading index, 8% over six months, which is which is a pretty big amount. Usually rule of thumb is 3.5% you're going into recession. We'll talk about that, but um, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, probably not going to be down. You know, the, the, the equity markets and the rally influenced the leading economic indicators. Uh, labor... Uh, report affects the economic surprise index. Uh, then we will see revisions coming up here at the end of February for GDP. And, and, and again, the important thing to remember is GDP reports for this month and next month are the reports for the previous quarter, fourth quarter. We anticipate it would be positive anyway. And you probably see some revision down there. Uh, but the real important GDP report will be end of April, end of July, and that's where you, you see you know the, the leg effects are starting to hit from the rate hikes. Uh, why don't we start out with strengths and start with one of you guys, Trevor? Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, you know, we talked about this previously, and Blaine and Jason mentioned it the other week, um, but it continues to be that what didn't work last year continues to work this year, and that also speaks to... Uh, just the rally in general, we've seen it in the high yield space, we've seen it in investment grade bonds, we've seen it in equities, kind of a broader base rally across the board. And that's when you tend to see something like the equal weight S&P 500 outperform uh, the market cap weighted S&P 500. So it's a, it's a testament to breadth in the market. Um, you know, alongside the recent rally, investor sentiment has also begun to pick up. And on top of that, we've also seen consumer sentiment pick up as well. And I, I think going back to what you said earlier, Todd, um, with all the data coming out this week and whatnot, we have seen market anticipations, or I guess what the market's pricing in from a rate hike standpoint, we actually have seen, you know, it's been widely priced in or widely anticipated that the Fed's going to hike by 25 basis points. That's still very much the consensus. But now you've actually seen uh, the possibility of a 50 bips increase move up a little bit. Now that's only moved up to about 9% for the March meeting. Um, but 
with the market rallying, with financial conditions easing, markets have also been like, okay, maybe does, does the Fed have to do a little more to help cool things off? So as far as a strength is concerned, there's been a lot of strength across the board this year in markets from a price action standpoint. Um, the question obviously on the other side of that is what does the Fed have to do about it if they're looking to you know, really curb that wealth effect or kind of dial down demand or dial down exuberance? Um, that's, that's the million dollar question. So I might add to that, you had ISM services rebound uh, pretty good in January. So you got these economic surprises that are occurring. And, um, you know, you can Google it and you'll find a city economic surprise index, something that, that's worth watching because you have actual data and you have expected data that comes out. So we move on to weaknesses? Yeah, I think a, a great place to start here is really just looking at the, the U.S. Treasury curve. We look at the 10s minus 2s, which has gotten some attention given that the, the inversion is the highest since 1981. I think it's worth taking that with a little bit of a grain of salt considering what rates were overall in 1981 versus what they were today. You know, just the raw number of, I think it was 80-something basis points. Perhaps being a little bit less meaningful in 1981 when rates were, you know, well north of 10%. And you know, full confession, I wasn't around then to pay attention to exactly what was going on in 81. But I am around now. And you know, with rates as low as they are, historically speaking, even though we've certainly you know, risen a lot off you know, zero rates, um, you know, the lower for longer policy we've had in place for more than a decade for the most part. It's a pretty meaningful inversion. And if you look at the 10-year minus the three-month, you're seeing the same kind of phenomenon. And one thing we actually look at was kind of a ratio as opposed to just doing the raw difference between the two. And those ratios are at basically historical highs. And anytime we've seen it this high, we have seen a recession follow um, in the data anywhere between six months to a year out. But you have to bear in mind you couple that with what I'm sure we've talked about on previous uh, swap podcasts here, where the market rebound usually also occurs prior to the actual recession. So I think overall, from an investor standpoint, it's important to remain focused on your long-term goals and not let all this talk of recession necessarily panic you. You know, right. stay pictured, you know, eyes on the prize, if you will. So that's a really important point that the leg effect of the yield curve inverted the proportionately the most in since I think we went back to the 60s. So the investment team did a little research on that and 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 then you've got that lag effect. So these things can be stretched out before you really see, you know, for example, recession following a yield curve. But the 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 extreme level of this one might suggest, you know, for sure, a recession. Now, how deep, that's another issue. And that, that can tie in with threats. Well, I think before we quick jump into, you know, either going to opportunities or threats next, I think to the, your point, Todd, is that, you know, the I think what has people's antennas up is the relative degree of inversion. You know, when we do that ratio, when we take the two divided by the 10, when we take the three month divided by the 10 year, doing that relative analysis, that's what's really got people's ears up, seeing that, wow, this is at almost an all-time high uh, when you look at the relative degree degree of inversion. So that's what's kind of spooking people. Now, you take that with a grain of salt because you got a bunch of talking heads now saying, well, the yield curve actually isn't a good indicator of a recession coming this time around because of X, Y, and Z. There's actually a ton of different data points that we got to take into account. Um, you know, There's a lot of information to weigh there. So I think to Ken's point, 
right? It's having that long-term approach, right. sticking to your plan, right. kind of just keeping your eyes on the prize. Let's keep moving along here. What else you guys got? Well, we can move right into opportunities. Speaking of yield curve and inverted, means the short-term rates are much higher than long-term rates. You got short bonds in that 4749 area. You got 10-year treasury at 3.7, and it's up from 3.4 basically a month ago. The key point about that is that 4749 on short rates, it's worth going into that in money markets or short-term bonds. The investment team discusses this all the time. We can target maturities, especially with individual bonds. There's huge advantages. You got maturity dates you can target, interest rates you can target, and in, and in the fund space, you can go into short-term bonds, but you don't have that much control you, you, or stay in a money market. The reason why I say that is you get 4749 if that rate falls, because the yield curve is going to fix itself, it's going to get normal, which means short rates lower than long rates. In that, in that process, short rates coming down, it's going to cross that 10-year yield. And at that point, you then can roll to that 10-year bond and go extend your duration at that point without having missed anything except that you picked up an extra 1% on yield. And the key is, if this is higher for longer, then go sit in the money market at 4749 at this point and enjoy the ride. And then as rates come down, then you can roll them, like I said, in the 10-year bond. So that's a huge opportunity. So are you saying to take the concerns around reinvestment risk in stride and being able to kind of be a little dynamic with your thought process around reinvestment risk? Yeah, because if you have four, you've got a whole 1% higher yield on money markets, you know, it's coming down. You're, you could go sit in a 10-year bond at 39 but you're passing up 4.9 in the process for a year, and then you can go back in the 10 year later. So you're, you don't have to worry about reinvestment risk in a year or two years even. You can worry about it when you're talking, you know, five, 10 years. But no, that's a great point. The other thing is that the, the opportunities, if the CPI tomorrow surprises to the upside, then you're going to get those long rates going up. But still, you also got short rates. The Fed bumping up rates 25 or 50, you're going to stay well ahead of that, and at some point you can uh, uh, take advantage of the longer yields. And on the rates note, you know, just as far as fixed income in general, you know, I think the fixed income area of the market is an attractive opportunity in and of itself. Uh, I think on a risk-adjusted basis, we've said this multiple times that, you know, maybe this year the in terms of absolute numbers, fixed income returns might not be the highest this year, but on a risk-adjusted basis, things are shaping up to look pretty solid there. I mean, you think of the beating that investment-grade and longer-dated bonds took last year. They're at levels where you're able to scoop up uh, some, some pretty nice yields on some of those higher-rated fixed income instruments. I might add, too, real quick, and I don't mean to... I meant to really kind of blend in with the background and let these guys... We're talk. happy to have you, Todd. We're happy to have you. <laughs> so... Small cap. A lot of talk about small cap, you know, as an opportunity. And, and small cap is tricky. I'm not an expert on small cap, but I, I know enough to know that small cap, you have to be selective in the equity that you pick. Uh, small cap value in a slower decelerating economy makes sense. But small cap in terms of Russell 2000, got a lot of non-income earners, 
that are going to get beat up and so forth. So it's all small caps, not the same. I, I, I'd be real careful about that, that selection, and we've got uh, good selection criteria, either for individual stocks or, or funds that we talk about all the time. Another area is international. Yeah, and so, you know, geographic diversification, like you said, is an opportunity in and of itself. The U.S. is still quite heavy when it comes to allocations to tech and communication services. So for those who are looking to add a little bit more geographical diversification to their portfolio, but also kind of from a sector or segment of the market standpoint, international looks pretty attractive there. Those markets are going to be constructed a little more defensively. That also takes me into my next point. You know, we were talking with our CIO, Derek Felsky, last week, and, you know, just the opportunity in defensive areas of the market, defensive stocks being a little more defensive and fixed income. You know, defensives tend to outperform when we see profit slowdowns. So when I say def defensives, well, right, what do I mean? So, right, some of those are typically classified as your dividend payers, you know, utilities, people will think of REITs, things like that, or your consumer staples, some of those stodgier companies right. that you tend to think of, you know, uh, Coca-Cola is an example of that, Pepsi, pretty pretty much identical, but, also, but pretty services. much the same. Services is a defensive sector dating back to the Great Depression was the best sector in the that held up the most in the Great Depression in the 30s, uh, tax preparers, um, security systems in today's age, you know, so uh, that and healthcare and, and consumer staples like you're talking about. And really what we're talking about is kind of tie fixed income and equities together a bit as short duration securities, right? So companies that have more immediate cash flows as opposed to, you know, companies that have cash flows further down the line that are kind of in their literally the growth phase of their you know, business cycle, if you will, right? So, uh, you know, the healthcare, you know, certain sectors of it, right? So maybe you'd want to favor, you know, some of the more like legacy pharmaceuticals that, you know, are making money down paying a dividend versus... Your aggressive you know, biotechs so, that correct. are trading at exorbitant multiples? Correct. Companies that have, you know, one or two products going through cl clinical trials that are more of a, you know, a bit of a lottery ticket, if you will, those may not necessarily be the safest places to be short term, especially with the higher rates, you know, we suspect would be in a higher for longer period here, right? So that cost of capital for a lot of those small cap companies and to tie it back into small caps too, mm -hmm. right? Selection is very important because you want to have companies that, especially right now, have cash flow and a means to make it through without either hurting the stock via equity raises because it needs capital or having to, you know, hit the uh, fixed income market to acquire bonds at you know, right. somewhat unfavorable rates. Well, let's... Uh move on to threats and then we can circle back through headlines real quick with the time we have left. Threats I had was the inverted yield curve and the implications for uh, a recession and, and the debate about soft versus hard landing. I would just say this, that in the inverted yield curve and the yields, it's based on nominal yields. And I'm certainly, I have a great appreciation for extracting inflation out, but people don't buy mortgages based on real mortgage rates. They don't buy, uh, take out auto loans on real CapEx decisions aren't made on real, so it's all nominal, and that has a, an impact on the, the future of the economy. Uh, so I have that as a threat. What do you guys have? I feel like we're still in this kind of weird market condition, right, where, where good news is kind of bad in the short term, if you will. And the, the two points I'll raise here is you know, we've got consumer sentiment, the highest since January 22, which is you know, pre the Ukraine invasion, which feels a little bit incongruous with you know, some of the other economic metrics we're seeing. And the other thing is jobless claims remaining incredibly low 
which again, to someone who does, you know, maybe isn't paying as much attention to the market, seems like a, you know, a great data point. But what that does do also is gives the Fed more ammunition, right? Because they've got the dual mandate, one of those mandates being employment. If employment remains low, it gives them more bandwidth to accelerate rate hikes. I feel like we're still, at least for the next couple months in this weird environment where, you know, good news is bad and bad news is good. Because right. if we start getting bad news, then it'll let the Fed back off the rate hike process a bit here, which will kind of stabilize cost of capital for all these companies. And, you know, we'll start heading the other direction. You know, and the last point I want to make about that, it's, it's, it's again, that that CPI level is higher. It's not that prices have necessarily come down. The inflation rate is moderating. The investment team put out that graph of just that, the CPI rising uh, rapidly and then leveling off, but the price level is still 20% higher than it was, you know, the year before type of thing. So, or two years before. The point is, is that we see moderating CPI rate changes, CPI is an index, but that doesn't mean that prices necessarily come down. So the higher for longer is what you're saying is likely to, to remain in place. What it's do you likely think, to translate into prices too. Like yeah. you said, the, the rate of change is slowing, but that doesn't change the, the, the price that you're paying when it comes time to check out. So, you know, when those prices are still elevated and people have in their heads that, well, I, you know, I was paying X a couple of years ago and now I'm paying Y. Sure, inflation isn't moving as much, but I'm still paying a lot more. Right. Do you mean check out like check out or check out at the grocery? I mean, when I'm at, when I'm at the checkout oh. register, Todd. Tie that back in with the service industry and defensiveness and funeral homes and things like that. You know why funeral homes are defensive? Because when business is dead, that's good. I knew it was coming. The Todd Boyd joke. <laughs> Let's go around the horn and uh, talk about our headlines. Headline strength. Breath of the market. Financial conditions have eased for now. I'll take our headline weakness here, the yield curve, and kind of the, the threats that come alongside that. Headline opportunity. The fixed income market still being very attractive um, investment vehicle here for the long term. And our headline threat. Well, we go back to that inverted yield curve and the implication it has for the economy going forward and the leg effect. It's the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. Ken Bellinger, Senior Trader, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. Thanks for having me. Trevor Narge, Senior Trader, thank you. Thanks, guys. And Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist, appreciate it. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.